Hello and welcome to the 30th episode of the Blue Line Reconstruction, a podcast about the Columbus Blue Jackets, the NHL, statistics and systems. My name's Josh Jamison and I'm joined in studio with my good friend Luke Lundy. Luke, you're you're kind of struggling with uh, a little bit of a cold right now? Yeah, I've been sick on and off for a while, so um, excuse me if I hack and cough during any of this, but I'll try to avoid getting it on air here. And while although a lot of CBJ fans might act like the sky is falling, there's really nothing to be sick about the beginning of this season for the <laughs> Columbus Blue Jackets. They're currently 5-3, and three, which is, I believe, uh, one of the better starts in franchise history. They're coming off recent losses for Tampa and the Kings, but all in all, I think this episode should be mostly a, a positive episode, but I think we need to start um, with a really serious thing that just came out today, which is Lucas Sedlak is now out for six weeks. But before we get to that, we're hosted on SoundCloud and we are available on iTunes or wherever you normally find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at BLRPod. That's where you can get some live analysis during games for the games that we're not attending. It's it's pretty hard to tweet when you're at the game. And uh, you can email us at BLRPodcast at gmail.com. You can also Venmo me money if you want to pay for our hosting service, <laughs> uh, which is SoundCloud. Feel free to Venmo me money. You can email me if you need that. We respond to just about everything that's sent to us. So if you want to contact to us, contact us, or you want to have something on the podcast, have us talk about something, uh, reach out to us uh, through either one of those ways. And uh, we're on the march to one thousand, aren't we, Luke? March to one thousand. 1,000 five-star iTunes reviews. Yes. 1,000 five-star iTunes reviews. This is the hill I will die on. We need your reviews. We love your reviews. And, uh, yeah, so jump on there, and we will uh, read any uh, reviews that we get that are good. And um, we read the one last week, and, and we haven't had a recent one. Uh, since since the last episode. So you guys need to get on that. March to 1000. All right. We love you. Thank you. So let's get to it. Lucas Sedlak is now out for six weeks with an ankle injury. Luke, what is your instant reaction? Sadness, I think. Um, I mean, I think that we all kind of were aware of these center depth issues. Um, everybody's kind of been talking about it. And now we have an injury to a center in a practice situation. I mean, anytime somebody gets hurt in practice, it's just frustrating. It happens. It's hockey. Um, pucks go places. Sticks go places. They hurt people. And I think that, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how it kind of shakes up through the rest of the lineup because Torts has kind of constantly talked about how Sedlak lets him do so many things with the lines, lets him make so many different changes specifically. So I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, what kind of, center depth we actually have if any to replace him for that position so the columbus blue jackets just went from being a team with three real nhl centers to two it this cannot be understated lucas sedlak is a good player he's a good fourth line center and yet his impact the injury uh, the impact of this injury far outsizes his actual production just because of the positional scarcity that we're experiencing right now. This is basically the worst injury that could happen outside of Sergei Bobrovsky to this team. Uh, or I, I guess if, you know, Dubinsky and Winberg went down, that would that'd be center. worse. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it, in terms of um, 
we could suffer wing depth and 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 that would be fine. Lucas Sedlak on the season with over a sixty percent Corsi four adjusted and uh, a pretty good fifty five percent expected goals. This guy, he's not a fantastic skater, but man, he is strong on the puck, and he's exactly what you want out of a fourth line center. I don't really know what our options are now. So now you're starting to look at, well, Dalpe is going to come back into the lineup. Right. Um, he was he was pushed out because of Boone Jenner, who we should also talk about. But this is, this is concerning. Six weeks is a long time, and, and the Blue Jackets have looked good through eight games, but they really need to – I think they, they might need to make an early move here. This is, this is pretty concerning. Well, it's tough because you have to – now you have to negotiate from an even – I guess you could say further position of weakness where yes. everybody knows that you need centers and now you have an injury, and so now you're negotiating from that point of weakness anyways. Um, but, yeah, what you were saying to me with Dalpe, Dalpe was apparently supposed to be a center. Uh, he, apparently he can play – center at the NHL. I don't feel like we've ever really seen him in a center role outside of the preseason. It seemed like he was on the wing pretty much exclusively during the regular season, but he would likely slot into that fourth line center role. Um, possibly Tyler Mott. Um, again, he's still in Cleveland, technically can play center in the fourth line center role. And um, Schroding. Schroeder, yeah, Schrader, Schrader could play center. Um, he's still in the IR. Um, I think they, I'm not sure if they they signed no, him they just called him up today. Yeah, okay, so they called him up. They called him so, up today. His conditioning assignment was over. Okay, so there's a very good chance that he'll actually slot in as that fourth-line center then in place of Sedlak. Um, people have talked about, you know, moving Dubois over to the fourth-line center role. Um, possibly, you know, if Boone shifts to center, then you can make some different adjustments as well from there. I think it's much more likely that they'll just plug in a guy like Schrader, um, maybe Dalpe into the lineup in that fourth line center role over, you know, jumbling everything again. But then again, we've seen a lot of jumbling already. So who knows? Whatever you can do to make sure that Dalpe is not in the lineup is what you need to do. I mean, this yeah, I guy is I mean, I wasn't impressed by Dalpe at all. Um, same with Ma. This guy is... I haven't seen Trader this yet. This guy so. has five, five goals in 41 games. At least you can say about Mott that he's young and he has upside. Uh, Dalpe is 27 years old. There's no upside here. This guy can't skate. He can't score. He can't do anything. And and I I really like the idea that um, that maybe you move Boone to center, but I would actually prefer what... PLD has been such an encouraging part of this season. He's absolutely dominant in terms of, of shot share. He definitely... You'd like to see him start putting up more points to go along with that really um, gaudy expected goals uh, for percentage. But I think you need to try. I think this is the impetus to at least try that because you can put Hannah Kynan on the left or or, or right, and and that's going to look better than putting Dalpe at center. So I, I just... yeah. I'm I, really not. I think. I think. Uh, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. I think this is when you need to try something new. Boone Jenner came up through the system as a center. Felino, I, I know that he's had some defensive failings. Is managing to to tread water as a center. I, I just think you need to let talent play. And Dalpe is not talent. Yeah, and he needs to stay off the ice. Exactly. And I also butchered. I think. It, I think it is might be Schroeder. I don't know Schroeder. Jordan, and it's Jordan, not Justin. Um, so he's. 
he's the other option other than Dalpe, right? And that's a guy that's had 40 points in 144 career games. He's a career negative Corsi player as well. Again, it's just not, um, you know, for a playoff contending team, you want to have as much, well, as strong of a center or as, as strong as your, as, what am I trying to say here? You want your center depth to be as strong as possible, essentially, if you're going to be contending in a playoff role. Fortunately, we can compensate with our defense and with our goaltending, um, and, you know, we do have very good wing depth, but it's it's tough. You know, you, a guy like, um, you know, Schroeder and Dalpate can maybe play in a fourth role on a lot of teams, uh, fourth line role on a lot of teams. I don't know if if they're really a strong option. Obviously, we'd just much rather have Sedlak in. Yeah, and so this is this is casting a, an early, an early you know uh, cloud over over what has been a, rel- a relatively encouraging season. And and once again, I, I I think talent needs to play here, and you need to try to try to move Boone to center, try to move uh, PLD back to center. That's why you drafted him. You wanted him to be a center. The impetus is here. Play him low minutes. Let him figure it out. He's had such an encouraging start. I, I just think you should go for it. Yeah, But I will I, say this. I would rather take a shot on Mott than any of those guys. He's 22 years old, and he's only played 33 NHL games. I think that there's at least upside there. There's no upside with the rest of these guys. Yeah, I agree. And even a guy like um, Vino, or I mean, I guess Vino's injured too still, right? He's so, still injured. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, even a guy like Sam Vino, um, there's, I mean, I imagine there's I just could see other, I guess, other prospects on the on the monsters that I'd like to see in that fourth line role. Um, possibly, you know, they're they're arguing from the you know standpoint of experience and NHL experience players on an already young team. Um, I don't know. I, I think that you're right. I think that talent has to play. I do think Dubois had a really good start, and I think that Dubois should have more points than he has. I know that statement yeah. sounds dumb, yeah. but but no, several absolutely. of the plays, several of the plays that he's created and. and essentially goals that he's created um he should have had assists on and just wasn't credited because it deflected off Absolutely. something or the puck never you know or he, i don't know there's just several situations where you know the puck hasn't touched his stick <laughs> soon enough after the play for him to get the assist uh, and i think he has been encouraging i think he could play center in a fourth line role and, and figure it out but we'd have to see again he's looked great as yeah. a winger yeah I, I absolutely agree with that and, and on that note Basically, the, since game one, Pierre-Luc Dubois has led the team in shot share and in terms of expected goals percentage or expected goals differential. Um, he has been completely dominant. And it, it truly is a shame that he's been playing on the fourth line because right now it, it, it doesn't – you you like to see with a guy with that dominant of, of stats means that he can take on a bigger role, and some of those numbers might regress a little bit. But really, it doesn't make sense to me in terms of Tortorella's coaching decision why he might see a uh, player performing so well and then move him down in result. Now, that being said, I do want to caveat that with the fact that I do believe that hockey is a strong link game, and what that means is you want to spread your talent out. I think there's value to that. There's value to that, especially if you're going to even out the, the minutes allotment. So if you're going to say, yeah, we don't really have a fourth line. We have two third lines, and they're both going to play around the same amount of minutes. I would be okay with that because you're going to have fresher legs. It's all going to work out. But that isn't really what's happening. Yeah. So I would. I think I think we've kind of run this point to the ground unless you wanted to say something more about Pierre-Luc Dubois. I would love to talk about Boone Jenner's uh, return. Yeah, and I mean, I, I pretty much agree with you on Dubois. It's kind of all over the place because we really – 
haven't had set lines um, for an extended amount of time. I mean, we keep seeing um, Tortorella is trying to give Calvert an extended role. He's moving Bjorkstrand up from the from the fourth line to the third line and then back to the fourth line. And it, it's just been kind of all over the place. So you would hope to see the minutes kind of even out a little bit um, with how encouraging Dubois has been. I mean, Dubois played nine nine and a half minutes against the Kings. Milano played eight minutes with him on that fourth line at times. Um, you really have to hope the kind of timing evens out. But again, you have to wonder if Torella is maybe seeing something defensively that we're not seeing. I'm not sure. I, I think Dubois has been great defensively as well. So we shall yeah, see. Yeah, I definitely, I wouldn't buy the argument. I wouldn't buy the argument that PLD has had uh, deficiencies defensively. Certainly Milano, that's, that's definitely part of his MO. So I'd believe that, but it kind of isn't inexplicable. Uh, maybe there's this kind of contrived thought that they want to ease him into it, but he does not need easing. He has exceeded. I think he's it, it, apart from having more points. There's really nothing a guy with only one goal could do to make me feel more po- positive about him. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Like, like in terms of not putting up a lot of points on the stat sheet. There's, there's really nothing more you could want from a guy. And and it's funny because context is so important. It feels like Pierre-Luc Dubois is, is, is doing great against our expectations. But a guy like Bjorkstrand, there's concerns, right? He had his first goal of the season against the Kings, and it was a rebound on a play that was created by David Savard. Uh, you know, that's... Right. He, he's definitely been a little bit um, disappointing, and he seems to be too passive. He's not really creating space, and he's not shooting the puck very much, which is really unusual. So, you know, this was a natural transition to Bjorkstrand. Actually, let's just talk about Bjorkstrand. What do you think about him? Yeah, and I mean, I think it, there's the same issue there where he needs to be playing. Um, he, he's he needs to be playing kind of in more of a shooter role than he has been. They're forcing a lot of passes. I think Bjorkstrand's kind of getting to the point where he needs to be producing goals. I mean, that's why he's on the roster. That's why we drafted him as a, as a goal scorer and we've expected it from him for so long. I think that, you know, he has to get into kind of better situations. A lot of his shots seem to be from kind of the outside, um, really kind of forcing it in there. He hasn't really been successful in driving towards the net. Part of me wonders how much of that is due to the centers he's playing with. He's played a lot of minutes with Felino. He's been bounced around the fourth line. Um, you have to wonder if any of that's the issue. But either way, he, he's a guy who's expected to create offense on his own. And he needs to be finding opportunities and high danger chances, or at least burying them. He, he definitely still has his chances, but he hasn't been burying the shots the way that we kind of expected he would. Yeah, and, and really, yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I think he needs to simplify the game. He... Uh, He's just not shooting the puck. And he actually, in that first few games, he was doing a really good job of kind of being a a distributor, which I'm okay with. I don't think he should move away from that. But he's just too passive and is is too willing to to take himself out of the play, which sounds like a very coaching type of term. But you really don't see – I haven't seen a lot of drive out of him lately. So you're hoping that that goal, even though it wasn't – you know, it wasn't anything sexy, but you're hoping that goal kind of knocks him, knocks him back into place. So let's go from there. Let's quickly talk about Boone Jenner's return. I, I, I uh, I've been kind of low on Boone Jenner, but I was reminded uh, at the, during the Kings game on Saturday what he actually brings to the table, and uh, he he had a solid game. I would say 
What I really like most about Boone Jenner is his willingness to shoot the puck no matter where he is. Because he is not this high-skilled player. He's not going to be able to make Panarin-type moves. No one can, but but or even like Atkinson-type moves. You know, pick, pick your poison. Uh, but but he knows that if you get the puck on net, good things happen. And so he just he just unloads, and I love that. And and I think he does bring a good attitude to the to the team. If he's staying, you know, down toward the third line, I think you're you're in good shape. I don't know if that's what's going to happen. He might um, be a a second line guy. But what I mean, did you get a chance to watch much of the Kings game? I, I don't remember. I didn't see a whole lot of the Kings game. I was at the Tampa game and have watched um, the other ones, but um, the Kings game, I, I was uh, at highball doing Halloween shenanigans for that. Um, <laughs> but I did, I did hear, I mean, from what I heard, it sounded like Boone had a good game. I, I don't know if you want to elaborate specifically. I don't want to talk uh, out my butt here. Yeah, just let me, I'm pulling up the stats here real quick. So Boone Jenner and what was really a wild game um, ended up being... Six to four. Um, the one was an empty net, so we'll call it five four. He uh, he was an even fifty percent in uh, Corsi uh, and uh, a negative relative, which is which is not great. But yeah, I, I think he looked good. It was a messy game for everyone, and but being your first game back, he 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 played fifteen minutes, which is uh, right. you know basically the highest. Um, that was that's that's the highest. That was the top line apparently was. Boone Jenner um, with Nick Felino and uh, I'm sorry, I'm just making this all up right now. And uh, another player to be named, I forget. Uh, and Panarin also played 15 minutes. So um, he played a lot of minutes and that's good to see, you know, for a player who's coming off an injury. But, you know, I, I just think he brings something to the table. I'm not, I don't think he's a game breaker, but um, he drags people I'm, in I'm the fight. Ho- that's for sure. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, he, he's had a history of being able to draw a lot of penalties as well as create a lot of high danger chances, which is something that the team is looking for right now. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a good as good a time as any to transition into kind of our general feels for the team. And, and, and specifically right now, I'm going to talk about expected goals. There's been a lot. I've seen a lot on Twitter and I've and I've read articles uh, by Portsline and the like about kind of the offense and the struggle that the offense seems to be having at times. What's weird is is kind of the the expectations versus reality, and if we think about it, the Blue Jackets actually have not really struggled on offense at all. They opened up the season with a with five goals. They scored you know four the other night, and I think what's happening is that the power play being as just so bad is really dragging down. Uh, what we believe is true about this team. Um, for example, the Columbus Blue Jackets are fourth in the NHL and expected goals four per 60. So the reason why I'm using that stat is um, expected goals hopefully should adjust a little bit for unluckiness and luckiness and per 60 just just because if you did just expected goals, it wouldn't adjust for games played. So they're fourth in the NHL in that. And... Um, currently have a PDO of 99.76, but more importantly, a five-on-five shooting percentage of 8.46, which is not great um, on on five-on-five. It's not terrible, but long story short is is I think that they're actually one of the best teams in the league on offense, and they're 
dominant on defense. And so when you put those together, if, if you do some people to like to do the percentages, expected goals for percentage, they're second in the league with Edmonton as number one. And Edmonton has a guy named um, Connor McDavid, you may have heard of him, who creates a ton of high value chances. On his own, so, essentially. Yeah, I, I think when it comes to five on five, we're okay. The, the, the problem is definitely the power play. And, and it is worrisome, but um, one thing I do want to say about the Columbus Blue Jacks, J- Jackets offense, and this applies both on five-on-five five and um, power play, is they refuse to play behind the net. They, it is, it's almost as if they're being told, do not get behind the net. They do not play behind the net. And so that creates – there are a lot of shots from the perimeter, and the reason is because – the puck isn't getting down low. Some of the best chances occur if you get the puck behind the net and the player behind the net hits another player yeah. who's streaking into the slot. And they don't really they don't really do that um, because they want to have they want to have a guy to you know one guy screening the goalie or two guys scoring, screening the goalie. I think that needs to change. There needs to be more motion once they get into the zone. They're very good on countering. They're very good at countering. Panarin is fantastic at countering. But they, I think they need to get the puck behind the net. And, and when we talk about the power play, which um, last I checked was 28th in expected goals and uh, was last, dead last in, in terms of opportunities, they need to move the puck. They, not only do they struggle with entering the zone, but once they do, it's completely stagnant. Who was the coach in the early 1900s who decided that the power play needs to be stagnant? The, the players should be moving around to create chaos by these defenders who have one less player. We play into their hands when you just all sit in the same spot. So this is like that would fundamentally change something about hockey, and I, I don't expect that to happen. But it, it is a problem, and I think it needs to change in hockey. Right. But all in all, I guess what I'm trying to say is this. I think the Blue Jackets are a top five team in the NHL right now. Even with the center depth concerns, I think they have the upside of a top five team in the NHL. And these games to open the season have confirmed that to me. Sergei Bobrovsky is fantastic. He has had one okay, not great game against the Kings on Saturday. And you could argue that some of those goals were unlucky. I think Jonas Corposalo, he's 23 years old. He's shown that he has upside. He's going to be fine. He's going to be able to play 25 games this season. And I think we don't have the offensive superpower, but we are so balanced and we're so deep and our defense is fantastic. I think this is a top five team. And so for everyone who's saying the offense isn't great, too many shots from the outside, some of those things are true. The power play definitely needs to improve. They should get the puck behind the net. But other than that, I think it's going great. That's my rant. Sorry, everyone. I think that... I agree. I mean, I think that they've shown a lot in the first few games. I'd like to see more, obviously, but what fan wouldn't? I think that every Blue Jackets fan is kind of getting a taste of winning or at least got a taste of winning last season and how good it felt to be a dominant team in the NHL and to watch the Blue Jackets and expect them to win every night. I think that that's contagious, and I think that's contagious you know, as a fan and as a player, and I, and I think that they'll continue to produce in the way that you said, as a top-five team, team in the NHL. Um, I do completely agree about the power play. I think that schematically, I mean, the one three one has been 
it, it had worked wonders for the Jackets last season. I think early that last it, season. Yeah, early last season, it was incredible. Um, there's so many of these power play chances where you have to wonder when Panarin's going to start finishing on his one-time shots because he's had yeah, so he's, many posts and he's had he gets the opportunities yeah he's had so many chances where like he'll just like i think he snapped his stick the one time or something or or i don't know it just whiffed on it but he's had so many chances that i think are going to start getting buried pretty soon i do think that we struggle pretty significantly against power pl- or penalty kill units that are pressuring the point um, and pressuring the half wall i think yeah. that that teams kind of figured out last season is a way of kind of addressing our power our power play. I mean, Rensky is great at at tight roping the blue line, at managing the puck and distributing the puck from the blue line. Um, but when you force a young player to think, you know, that fast, if you're just rushing at him in every situation, it's more likely he's going to make a mistake and and not be able to distribute the puck the right way. Wenberg has been losing some battles along the half wall. Um, it really seems like, you know, we used to see Felino kind of take passes from below the goal line and then distribute out from there into these quick chances for, it used to be Cam. But I don't understand why, just like how you said behind the net, why Felino isn't receiving the pass down low and at least retreating back behind the net and distributing that puck out to, again, either a Wenberg chance or a Panarin chance. If you want to use this one-timer, why aren't we distributing it from behind the net if you're just, you know, keeping it kind of just trying to create traffic. I guess Felino's just kind of always well, in front of the net now. He's not really working from below the goal line the way that he was before. Yeah, um, and, and, and I know that, well, the, arguably the, the, the most powerful thing about getting the puck behind the net is the goalie's positioning is so uncomfortable and awkward. Like yeah, he's down in they the can't really see what's going on and, the, and they have to hug the post. Yeah. So... I yeah, I think I think a big problem, and we can transition, I think, into what a topic I certainly want to talk about is I think Winberg is dragging down that power play considerably uh, because the teams know that he doesn't want to shoot. And he, and he shot it maybe a little bit more, it feels like, on the power play this year. But that's because they give him that shot. They're giving him that shot all day, the whole way, and they're playing the pass because there's no threat. And so I, I – and what's concerning to me is when we signed that contract – I remember saying to you, Luke, I said, this is a fine contract, especially if he can continue, continues to grow. He can be a power play specialist and a pretty good five-on-five five player. And this season, it's often felt like he's completely missing in both of them. And if he's going to be basically a detriment to our power play, like where's the value in that contract? He's not creating space on five-on-five. On five. He's had some bright moments, but a lot of it, it just, it doesn't feel like he's all there. And I say that, I would like to caveat that um, quickly with um, the acknowledgement that his overall, you know, stat line is is not terrible, but neither is, you know, anyone on the Columbus Blue Jackets. For example, he's above 60 in Corsi 4 as well. And, um, He's fifty-eight uh, percent and expected goals, which is which is all you know really good. Twelfth um, on the team though, so not not amazing. But I just he seems invisible for too often, and I actually think he's being a massive detriment to the power play. So I, I'm a little bit concerned. Yeah, I mean he's got six points in eight games. Um, he's 
he does he is running you know at 62.60 like a greater than 60 percent Corsi I mean at this point just because of how dominant that top line has been I kind of feel like he has been shooting quite a bit more on the power play um, but yeah like you said they're giving him that shot he hasn't really had great opportunities where to you know really bury with his shot um, he doesn't have a particularly great shot obviously he did create that one rebound that led to um, the early Wierenski goal I think that was the home opener uh, but either yeah, way, yeah. yeah, but either way, he does need to not play as passive. I think he's really good along along the boards and in the corners. And, and I think that he just hasn't been showing that same ability that he would kind of show. Or he, would, he was showing it for some games, and then he would kind of disappear for other games. Um, I think it was... Well, I, I don't actually. I don't think it was the Tampa game, but there were there were just there are certain moments where he will, you know, take over the play and he'll get aggressive in the corners. He'll take possession. He'll forcibly keep possession and make great passes. But there's there's just stretches of time where he doesn't really seem to be making any kind of impact, or he seems almost invisible. I don't know if I'm going to go so far as to call him a detriment on the power play. I think I'll disagree with you there. I think he still is is the best option in terms of a half-wall distributor that we have. I, I don't want to see Dubinsky doing it. Um, I don't know. I mean, they had Dubois in that role on the second unit for a while, but I don't really know if we've seen enough from him to produce. I would like to see Wenberg try to pass to Panarin more. I'd like to see him try to force a cross-ice pass. He's got some nasty saucer passes. I don't understand why he's forcing so many. He just kind of seems to be willing to pass it back to Wierenski and just let Wierenski figure it out from there. Yeah, and in case you were wondering, on the power play, uh, Boone Jenner has 461 Corsi 4 per hour, uh, <laughs> which is obviously sample size because he's only played like one minute. Oh, 0.13 minutes uh, on the power play. So he's 461 shots per hour. Crazy. Um, yeah, um, but yeah, he's the greatest power play no, Winberg. Winberg is sixth, or I should say, uh, you know, if we actually adjust this for who plays on the power play, yeah, I mean, when he's playing on the power play, he seems to be getting up shots. He has the fourth, le- fourth least amount of shots on five on five on the team, and you just gotta wonder how one dimensional a player can become and still be super effective. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so whether or not he's like at this point, totally dragging down the team. I think that's unlikely, right? You know, I'm, I'm being a little overly critical that Panarin, Atkinson, Winberg line has been at the top of, you know, basically any stat you can pull on lines in the NHL. So they've been fantastic, but, but you kind of have to wonder, um, is that, is that Panarin dragging the line along, you know, because Panarin seems to have the puck on his stick a lot more than Winberg. So I, I just don't know. Um, I think there's a question mark, at least right now. I'll say that about Winberg. So I, you know, I could, I guess, I don't know. I, I have been discouraged lately, but you're right that Still early. it's not, yeah, not all is lost. Not all is lost. But uh, on that note of that um, Panarin, Winberg, Atkinson line, uh, they have a uh, 64.2% um, Corsi 4 percentage, which is just absolutely incredible. But if you give me one moment among... But we don't know if they're among, playing together 
anymore. Well, right. We'll talk about that in one second. Yeah. But among, among, among lines that have played at least 50 minutes, um, Alexander Winberg, Artemi Panarin, and Cam Atkinson have the second highest Corsi 4 percentage. The only line with uh, above them, uh, Yamimoto, Maroon, and Connor McDavid. And uh, in terms of expected goals, which is kind of a, just a, a different sort of adjustment on the same idea, uh, they are fourth in expected goals percentage, only behind the Austin Matthews Nylander line, Connor McDavid once again, and uh, Chris Kreider and Zabinijad on New York. So, I mean, they've been fantastic. So, I, you know, I don't want to exaggerate. I just – the power play is so concerning, and you want to point the finger at someone. I think there's a few things to blame. I think Panera needs to – he needs to finish more, absolutely. But I also yeah. think that they're, they're very one-dimensional because they figured out Winberg. Um, it happened halfway through last season. And and you got to wonder if you want to try someone else. What if you put Bjorkstrand on that side and it's you have shooters all around? You know, what happens then? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, we'll kind of see what happens what? with the Lions. I, I think they're going to get switched around quite a bit. It looks like they're already getting switched around quite a bit. Yeah, talk about that. Yeah, so I mean, we we were noticing in practice. I mean, I, I, it apparently Tortorella's been switching the lines. He says he does it um, based on who's going that night, and that's all well and good. I mean, he's the coach of the team. He has he can make all the changes he needs to make or he feels he needs to make. I know that he was trying to um, avoid matching the top line against Kopitar's line um, the other night. I think he. It was midway through the second period. He was trying to get that line, the Wenberg, Panarin, Atkinson line, away from the Kopitar line because of concerns defensively. I think that kind of um, is, it makes sense to try to match up your lines in certain situations like that. I think Kopitar is one of the best defensive centers in the game of hockey um, in, in terms of you know creating possession and, and minimizing offensive players like Panarin's impact on the game. Uh, but you have to wonder how much chemistry can be built between players if the lines are being constantly jumbled uh how how the play styles are kind of interacting it's it just seems like the team isn't comfortable with the lines they have set um, and they're and you're seeing that in the second third and fourth line is just getting changed almost seems like almost by the game um the first line's been the only really set line for the team and you kind of have to wonder you know compared to last season where we had the streak of the where the lines were almost concrete for game after game after game, when we'll see that take effect or if they'll if there will be that correct match that seems to just show up and the team can kind of stick with. But obviously now with the Sedlak injury, they had to make some adjustments. I think they had Felino with Panarin now and Bjorkstrand on the other side um, was the line in practice today. And then I know that they were, they were keeping, it sounds like Dubinsky and... I think they had Anderson and Calvert together at one point as well. So it, it's just been getting switched around quite a bit, and I don't know how you feel about that, Josh. I, I'm always hesitant to have these constant line changes. I think that it's an overreaction by coaches when a game doesn't go the way they want it to go. Yeah, and I think Dom came out with an article on The Athletic recently about coaches who do line jumbling, and Tortorella was mentioned as one of the... He wasn't the highest, but he was mentioned in the article among like eight, eight other coaches. So it's it's certainly that something he's done for years going back to, to Tampa Bay. So, you know, this might be one of those things where we're kind of uncomfortable with it, but you have to kind of just roll with the punches, if that makes sense. 
Um, obviously, I would like to see the Panarin, Winberg, Atkinson line stick together just because it's been so dominant and you want to see if there's going to be just an explosion of goals soon. Yeah. But you also might make the argument that you need to split that talent up a little bit um, with the center depth issues that are about to to, to really, I think, rock the team. I think Sedlak was so solid on that fourth line. Um, you just got to wonder what's coming down the pipeline. I would uh, love right now to re-rank the Metro division uh, this far into the season. Obviously, it's really early on, but we, we kind of have some early results. And uh, and we did this, I think, our final recording right before the season. And so I, I let's do it again. Cool. What let's do you think? Let's do it. Um, so I think okay. that do you want do you want me to start this time or do you want to do it? Yeah, go well, go from the bottom. Okay, so from the bottom, um, well, actually, wait, before we start, let me say where it is currently, which is weird. Devils in first <laughs> uh, with six wins, two losses, twelve points. Penguins, eleven points, Flyers, ten points, Blue Jackets, ten points, Islanders nine, Capitals nine, Hurricane seven, Rangers six. So not obviously not a lot of separation. You wouldn't expect there to be. There's only been you know, anywhere from six to nine games played. But anyways, who do you have in last place? I mean, I still don't buy... I mean, I, I was saying before that I didn't really see the Rangers doing much this year. Um, I'd say probably in last place, yeah, I'm going to just stick with, with the... Uh, I'm going to actually put the Islanders. I think that the Islanders deserve to be in last place, so they're going to end up being in, in last place in the Metro. Oh, the the Wait... Yeah, yeah. So I wasn't, I wasn't New sold on either. I think New Jersey unequivocally has the least NHL talent of any of these teams. I think so too. Um, but I think that it's it's probably going to pan out. I think the Islanders still are going to kind of plummet um, quite a bit. I mean, New Jersey is definitely down there in terms of what I expect them to be doing. I don't. I don't think their success right now is is going to continue. I think that. They've got strong goaltending, but I think that they lack so many other things. I mean, they've well, got. Well, actually, I would like to push back against that. I don't think that Corey Schneider. I think he's a shell of his former self. Um, I, 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 I don't expect. I, I would be shocked if New Jersey was anywhere near the next step. So I think personally, for me, it goes New Jersey and then New York Rangers. Uh, and I think that there's a massive gap between those two. Currently, right now, as a team, New Jersey is shooting 10%. Uh, that's that's just not that's not going to continue. They don't have the talent to sustain anywhere near a number like that. On the flip side, uh, the New York Rangers are only shooting um, 6% and uh, not getting the greatest of goaltending. So I think. Um, I think for me, I'm putting New Jersey and then Rangers, and so you're putting Rangers uh, Islanders at the bottom, and then New Jersey. Yeah, pretty much, and then the Rangers right after that. Um, so I don't. I mean, I don't know. I think that they've had some good things happen. You've got Heshire, who's got seven points in eight games. Pretty good thing to see from you know an 18 year old kid this early in the season with with a team like the Devils. You know, it's it's good to see that for them. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I'm not sold on the Rangers. I I think that they're going to decline. I think Lundqvist is kind of on his last legs um, as, a, as a starting goaltender. And the Islanders, I, I think that they're not, I don't know, I think that they're built the way that the Blue Jackets were several years ago when we were just filled with hitting and 
Um, I just don't see them as being like a speed team to keep up in the Metro. So I, uh, this was true going into the season. We have a very vastly different uh, perception of who the Islanders are. I think the Islanders are a playoff team. I think that the Metro is going to have five teams this year. I'm putting Carolina as uh, my third worst team. And the thing about Carolina is they've for years had just, we've been kind of waiting for them to break out and it just, it just doesn't seem to happen. It, it's 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 honestly kind of bizarre that they, they continually get you know thought of pretty well and then it just doesn't happen. I I uh, I just so far um, they haven't they haven't done anything and all that impressive. I still think that they're they're lacking um, the goaltending that they need. Yeah, I'm not and, sold on uh, Scott Darling. That's for sure. Yeah, and uh, they're getting they're getting outshot on the shot share. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put them next for me and third to last, and I assume that means you're putting the Rangers as third to last. Yeah. And yeah. we already talked about them. They just they don't have the, that much defensive depth. They don't have any star forwards, and then Ludquist is aging. Like, I just they're just not very good. Yep. And then after that, um, probably put the Flyers, I guess. Right. Um. So yeah. right there, I'm. Um, in that next spot, I'm putting the Islanders, as I already mentioned. I uh, right as of as we speak right now, the Islanders are second in the division in expected goals uh, percentage. I I really like. Um, I I just I, I love Tavares and that high end, high end talent, and uh, I know that there aren't a lot of names around them to speak of, but they have some nice good good young players around them, so. I'm putting the Islanders next, and then I'm putting the Flyers. Okay, gotcha. So, so, so who do you have after the Flyers? Well, what do you have? Do you have anything to say about the Flyers? Um, about the Flyers? I mean, I think the Flyers are seeing, you know, that what they kind of expected. It seems like their forwards are producing. Um, they're they've been winning a lot of really. <laughs> I guess high scoring. I mean, they had they've had some high scoring games. They had an eight two game against Washington. Um, they lost six five against the Predators. I mean, their forwards are producing. Simmons is producing. Forecheck. Um, I think Nolan Patrick looks decent. I'm, I'm not sure what his exact stat line is. I'd have to pull it up. Um, it looks like he's doing. Looks like he's got three points in his first eight games. So not bad. And I think Provorov's a good a good defenseman as well. But. Giroux's back to his former self. He's got 10 points, 5 goals, 5 assists in 8 games. Go, uh, Ghost Bear. I love Ghost Bear. I think that oh, yeah. I think the Flyers are are could be a playoff team this year. I wasn't too high on them to be, begin the season. Um, I think that they could very well be in a wild card spot. And I, I hope that we get to play them, man. That'd be so great. I'd love to play anybody other than the Penguins this time. Um, I, think <laughs> we met, I think we match yeah. up so well against the Flyers, but... Um, I think I'd have the Flyers next, and then follow that by, well, Carolina and the Flyers are kind of right there, and then you get it just you know the the Jackets. So you have Carolina. And, you have Carolina in the playoffs still. Yeah, I still think that they'll they'll come on later in the season and make a wild card. If if we're gonna talk about there being five Metro teams, I think that it's it includes Carolina and the Flyers. From what I've seen, I mean, I, I don't know. It's tough. It's tough with the wild card spots with such a strong division. 
So you and I have, obviously, I think we have a really similar views on a lot of these teams, except for Carolina and the Islanders. We kind of have flipped spots. Yeah. Um, I, I have the Islanders as the fifth team in the Metro and uh, Philadelphia is next. I think the biggest question with Philadelphia might be their goaltending. Brian Elliott's 32 years old and uh, he's been okay. I wouldn't say he's been great in his career. And then I think um, offensively it all hinges on who Giroux going to be. And Giroux had several seasons of down production. So this is a great start for them. It really couldn't be going much better. And and uh, in terms of you, you just wanted to see Giroux score. And so that's good. Um, after that, I have, uh, I have Washington. And I have to be honest, early returns on Washington. I just... I feel kind of icky. Like I kind of want to make a hot take and say that Washington's gonna like miss the playoffs, but I, I don't have the I don't have the cojones to say something hmm. that hot takey. I think there's an actual chance that um, we place above them this time in the standings. I think that that could happen. Um, well, just you wait and see where I rank the CBJ. Okay, gotcha. I mean, I I would put Washington as. I still think that they're going to come on strong as a team. Um, I, I would put them kind of in that either, yeah, second or third in the Metro spot. Um, and I'd put Pittsburgh at the top still. I don't think that they're going to decline as much as I would hope that they would decline. And then, you know, second Here or third. I Go come with my hot take. The Pittsburgh Penguins will not win the division. The Columbus Blue Jackets will win the division. And the reason for this is the story of two different teams. One team has the one of the worst defenses in the entire league. One team has one of the best. Guess which is which? Well, I, I know the Pittsburgh, answer to that. Pittsburgh has one of the worst defenses in the entire league. They're allowing so many shots. And their backup, Niemi, got waved today. And and part of the reason why he got waived is because he's old and he's failing. But the other reason is because (laughs) they allow so many shots. They allow so many shots. Yeah, he allowed 16 goals in three games, dude. It's crazy. Yeah. And and I don't think Nami is good. I don't think he should probably be on an NHL roster anymore. But the general point remains is that like very few goalies can stand up to that. Matt Murray is really good. But can Matt Murray play 75 games this season i i don't know and even if he does you gotta have there's question marks going into the playoffs i think those kind of weaknesses get exposed through the course of an 82 game regular season what if letang goes down again what becomes of this defense so i love the blue jackets depth and i love how dominant they've been on defense and bobrovsky looks like other than the game against the Kings, I mean, he looks like he's just picking up right where he left off, and he's right in his prime. So I'm taking the Columbus Blue Jackets as the division winners of the 2017-2018 uh, regular season. Go Jackets. That's my take. Boom. I think we should Drop end on mind. that note. Go Jackets, man. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So you have nothing else to say? No, I, I, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to dampen the mood. I think that the Jackets. <laughs> I think the Jackets are definitely a playoff team that finishes in the second or third of the Metro. I would love to see them win the division. I really hope that you're that you're right about that one. Um, I would love absolutely more. 
Thanks to the Heart Attack Man, Eric Egan, and the Heart Attack Man for the music. Remember, follow us on Twitter at BLRPod. Give us those five-star reviews on iTunes. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. We love you. Go Jackets. Go Jackets.